you shatter that idea that society has just put into your head that women can't birth. Women shouldn't birth. Birth is this dangerous thing that has somehow upheld the entire human species. And yet we can't do it. It's for some reason. It's now this emergency and it's completely disempowering and undignified. And so when you do it, I was just in complete awe that, that I had done that. I have a video of my mom. She's just bawling on your shoulder because she's in, in complete disbelief that even happened. I'm like, mom, my grandmother birthed her just the same way, basically. Mm. And why is it in one to two generations mm. we have just been completely stripped of our power to birth, right? I, I, it amazes me. It completely amazes me. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A Better Next Birth podcast. This is Katie Bueller, midwife in San Diego, California. I started this podcast to highlight the stories of how to get a better next birth. Today, we're hearing from Lathina, who is going to share with us such a rich and detailed story, or two stories back to back, that the podcast is much longer than we'd planned. I promise it'll be worth it. Her storytelling is captivating. Her mind is sharp. And so I think you'll get a lot out of the way she tells her story. There's one thing she says that I want to make a note of. She makes some comments about how people preparing for a home birth are all naturally nervous about it. And I, I don't know if that's true. So if you're listening to this podcast today and you want to make a comment, go make a comment in the Instagram for this episode and I look forward to hearing your comments on the gram. Also, we need some more folks to come on and tell their stories. If you're listening and you're a midwife who has had folks who had better next birth with you, or if you're a birthing person who had a better next birth, I'd love to share your story. So get in touch with me through Instagram and I'd love to interview you for this podcast. Okay, here's the show. I give you a better next birth with Lathina. All right. Welcome on the podcast, Lathina. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Lathina, I had the the great pleasure of getting to be your midwife for your second baby. And in the process of being with you, you were such a go-getter of a woman, such a spicy and authentic and powerful woman. So it was truly a rewarding experience for me to get to be part of that journey with you and watch you birth your second baby. This podcast, it's called A Better Next Birth. What we're doing is we're walking through a birth that was hard or disappointing and then talking about how you went through your process of finding something better or thinking there could be something better and then how you got it and what that was like. So if you would like to take it away, we'd love to hear your story of your first birth and how that was, the process, finding yourself pregnant for the second time, and then how you worked through that. 
when I was just first exploring the option of home birth, I would have totally binged this podcast or a podcast like this because you just search out different information and then listen to other people's stories. Because unless you have somebody who had been through it, you just don't know. It just, it feels so foreign because that's just not what we're accustomed to. That's not what we're meant to believe is supposed to happen. I hear this story from a lot of people who are thinking about home birth. Like they don't know anyone who's done it. They don't have a sister, a cousin, a friend, a coworker, like no one that they know that's done this. So they have no frame of reference. Who does this? Is this even safe? Like, are there people out there who do it? And I'm hoping that when women hear the stories of other women, the same traumas that they went through will resonate with them. And then they'll see that, yes, actually you really can get something better in this model of care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get something better? <laughs> I did. I got something better. I was redeeming almost. It was really silly to feel like <clears throat> that I was traumatized or had some trauma from my first birth because it was, you know, from a medical standpoint, unremarkable. And I had a healthy baby and I was healthy and I I got to bring her home and I got to go home with her. And I had a vaginal delivery of my first child. So I it was unremarkable. So it was really silly for me to feel like there was some trauma there, but there absolutely was. And I don't know that I really quite figured that out until my second birth. And definitely felt like I redeemed all of that with my my home birth. Wow. Wow. I blamed my husband in all honesty. Oh, I did. I I, I was like, in my head, I had communicated all the things that I wanted him to advocate for me. And he couldn't, he tried, but he doesn't know. And he was terrified. And since really it was just displaced frustration, but yeah, I just blamed him for it. Whose fault was it? It was the staff for not listening to the things that I wrote down and I vocalized and the things that my husband was also saying. So at the time, for a long time, I um, blamed him for it and love it. It's such an unrealistic expectation because he's never done it either. (laughs) Like, how's he supposed to know? And, And when you have medical authorities telling you what you should and shouldn't do, It's literally their job to give you information that you can rely on. And the problem is that right now that's not happening in a way that's consistent with what women are saying they need. So there's a big discrepancy. And that's, I think, what we're highlighting in this podcast, but especially we're pointing out like how it can be done differently. Yeah. I got pregnant with my first and like most people, I just did what most people do. I made a doctor's appointment, right? I had health insurance. And so I just called my insurance and made an appointment and did the whole thing. And at the time when I was pregnant with my first, I had Kaiser insurance. So they do everything in-house. And so it was very easy, straightforward. They told me exactly what, what was going to happen and what to expect and what next appointment. And I was going to the same places for all those appointments. And my prenatal care was 
was great. I have no qualms about my prenatal care whatsoever. When it came down to my birth, it was just very chaotic. And it was not what I had hoped for Mm. really at all. Mm. I shouldn't even say chaotic. It was incredibly chaotic. (laughs) And it was stressful. And I felt really, I I felt awful afterwards. And I didn't quite know why. Wow. For a long time. I didn't know why. I actually had through all the postpartum hormones, I had put the blame in my husband's hands because I had expected him to advocate for me. He was terrified. So it, that wasn't a realistic expectation for me and it's not his fault by any means. So it all started, I was 40 weeks and five days and my water had started leaking in the evening, the late evening. And I didn't freak out about it, but you don't, I don't, you don't know what to do. And so you, I called the nurses line at the LND and they said, do X, Y, Z. And if you're leaking through a pad and within one hour or two, you need to come in. And I was just right on that kind of cusp. Yeah. It can be hard to know sometimes if your water's broken or not. Yeah. And it wasn't, it, it was just strange. And I just wasn't, I, I wasn't sure, but that ultimately led to this, <laughs> I think two hour argument between my husband and I, or my husband's, we need to go in, we're going in. And I'm like, no, I'm going to bed. <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm going to bed. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to find out what actually happened, but good for you that you knew that you should go back to bed. That was a good answer. I don't know what you decided to do. Because he, as a first-time parent, was like, oh, wait, let's make sure we're safe, which is also reasonable. But yeah, but to me, the answer is generally go back to bed. Okay. Go so back to bed. When you're calling the, the L&D, they're telling you, they're like, you need to come in and this is why. And they start going through the whole liability checklist is what I would call it. Oh, you could get infection. Oh, this could happen. Oh, that could happen. And so my husband, who's also first-time parent, and never held a newborn by the way up until this point right he doesn't know anything and so we're arguing and I remember telling him I remember looking at him in the eyes and I was like you have no idea what I'm about to go through and because I had intended to try to do it naturally and I was like I need to go to bed and I, I need to eat and then I need to go to bed and he wouldn't let up and he was scared and finally I was like I guess we're going in so at two o'clock in the morning, obviously I'm not in bed and we go, we get to the hospital, we're in triage and everything just goes downhill from there. The baby's fine, but I'm not in labor and I, my water was low. It was not gone. It was low. How do you know? I think it was just through the, the ultrasound. They determined ultrasound. that it was low. Okay. And something is ringing in my head about five, the, the number five. I don't know if that. Yeah. So you. if your water had not been broken and your amniotic fluid was five, then that's a good indication for induction. The, that low of a number is concerning, but your water had already started to break. 
So to me, that's actually not a concerning number. And so now I know too, I could have probably just drinking a ton of water. Maybe I was dehydrated Yeah. at the time. And also I remember I kept telling my husband, I was like, I am 41 weeks. I'm going to go into labor. This is going to happen. This is not going to not happen. Right. I'm going to go into labor. And we had, a little, we had a little Doppler at home and everything. So I, we were able to check on her heart rate. So we get there and yeah, they said that it was low and that I wasn't going home. And I remember looking at the nurse and I was like, I can't go home. And she's like, no, you can't leave. And I was like, that it just made me, I I started to panic at that point. So she's like, we're going to induce you. And I was like, I don't want to be induced. I'm 41 weeks. I'm going to go into labor. And she's like, we need to induce you. And so I asked for a Foley bulb and essentially she skirted over her way around that and said, instead, we're going to give you a miso. And she's it's only a cervical ripener. It's less invasive than even a Foley bulb. And I had asked her, I was like, I intend to do a natural delivery. So that's why I wanted to do the Foley bulb. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. She's like, a miso is even more mild than a Foley bulb. And I had no idea what this miso even was. And so they hooked me up to the IV. They blew out my veins like three times which I have never had an IV up until this point too. I hate needles and all the things. So I was just, at this point I was crying and I was just physically tremoring. And I go to sleep for probably 20 minutes. I'm in triage and they wake me up and they're like, we have the the miso, put this under your cheeks right here. And I asked her, I was like, now? And she's like, yeah, it'll probably take about six hours to kick in or so. And so I'm like, oh, okay. We put it in and within an hour and a half, I was full-blown labor, hunched over, just wow. going at it. They didn't have a room for me. Oh my so God. I'm in this triage. They're wheeling me around the hospital, the L&D, and they, it was a holiday weekend and they're like, we don't have any rooms available. And I'm like, why did you give me this? You just induced me and you don't even have a room for me. This is why, why would you do that? Right. So they put me in a post-delivery room where I labored and the post-delivery rooms are significantly smaller at Kaiser than the delivery rooms. Here I am, I'm asking for a yoga ball. I'm asking for a peanut ball and I'm trying to walk around the room and there's just no room to do this. Oh yeah. And plus, cause I have, I'm hooked up. So I got the little IV bar that I'm carrying around and I'm, oh man, I had taken that miso at five and by seven 30, I was in it. It was in the thick of it. And it was just chaos because the delivery nurses are not in the post delivery area. Oh my gosh. Right. So I'm over here trying to ask for things. Like I'm asking for that ball. I think it took him like an hour to get that ball. Asked for the peanut ball. It took him like another hour. They couldn't find one. It was just, and then I remember watching the monitor and my contractions because I, they were so crazy intense. And I remember watching it. And when the nurse came in, I was like, my contractions are like four minutes. And then I would get like a 30 second drop and they would go up again. And I would have a two and a half minute. And then I'd have another four and a half minute. And I was just not getting the break that I knew was natural. 
Wait, Lathina, did you just say that your contractions were four minutes long with a 30 second break? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, I was so watching it. I was freaking out. Oh my God. I just want to say for those listening who might not already know this. Yes, so, so miso, AKA cytotech has been known to cause uterine rupture. And in other words, it can burst your uterus because it can be so overpowering. And so it sounds very like a four minute contraction is not normal at all. A normal contraction is like one minute long and you get a break of about four minutes. So yours was doing the, literally the exact reverse. And the, everyone listening who's been through labor knows how hard a contraction is. So now Latina's busting her ass working for four minute contractions and getting a 30 second break. That sounds almost physiologically or like impossible, let alone coping with that. And you're in the wrong place. And there's nurses who don't know how to help and you don't have the equipment and you're hooked up to the IV. So there's just a, I now know why you're calling it chaos because that's a lot of stressor on what's supposed to be a normal process. I'm so yeah, sorry. Exactly. I'm so sorry. I was like, I, I can't handle this. And in comparison to my natural birth, those immediate contractions, when I say I was in labor buckled over within an hour and a half, it was just, it was zero to 10. I was immediately what I would call now active labor, right? That's what it in comparison felt like. I was just the whole nine, like rocking back and forth. It was intense. They were intense. And I remember when I asked the nurse, why are my contractions like that? Why are they lasting so long? She just scoffed and rolled her eyes. And she's like, honey, that's labor. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to be. And she's like, yeah, you're in labor, honey. That's labor. And so I'm just, I don't I'm like, okay. And so can we just pause right there too. Now you've also got basically gaslighting. Yeah. Like the, te right. the teens in my house are very astute when it comes to gaslighting. They now know what that means. And so they're like, there's, she's acting four minute long contractions are, oh, that's just normal. You need to deal with it. When in fact it's being caused by the medication that they promised you would take six hours to kick in. So it's, I'm sorry, folks, it's a mind fuck. So yeah. now oh, totally. who's trying to get through her normal, natural, she wants a natural birth and she came in prepared to deal with that, but is now dealing with four times the level of excruciatingness that she was prepared to deal with. It feels, it, I remember just feeling helpless because you, you just can't think straight, right? I remember sitting there and I had a break and it just, as it came down, like my contraction had come down. I remember getting one breath in and it started up again. And I remember just going, no, right? And I looked at my husband and he's what I'm just tearing up looking at it because I felt so it was agon it, it was agonizing and it, I felt helpless. I didn't know what to do because I did not want the stupid epidural. I didn't want it. And so I lasted six hours. I lasted six hours. They came in and they're like, let's check you. Right. And, and at that time I didn't know, no, don't check me. <laughs> but it, I also felt like I needed 
a little bit of encouragement. So I was like, okay, I've been through this six hours. We've got to make some progress. And in my head, I'm like, let me mathematically try to figure out how much longer I have to go over this. Right. And they check me and she's like, yeah, you're about two centimeters. And I was like, okay, that's perfect. I need the epidural. That's, I couldn't, I got to a point where I just, I couldn't anymore. And so I get the epidural. I get, I don't know, maybe three hours to relax or so. I'm still in the post-delivery room. And I, then I start to feel it, right? I'm like, okay, I can feel these contractions again. And I think this is happening. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, no, you're fine. And I was like, mm, no, I can feel the contractions again. And she's like, oh, just push the button. And I was like, I think we're moving here. I think this baby's coming. No, no, you're fine. And so <laughs> somebody comes in and I, I remember laughing and I was like, I'm going to have this baby. She's coming. And so then somebody was like, okay, let's check you. Sure enough, she's coming. They're like, oh, you can't do it here. We got to get you in a delivery room. And I oh was my like, God. oh my sure God, thing. go ahead. Right. And mind you, we're first time parents. We, I significantly overpacked and I'm really picky. So I got my husband carrying my pillows and like the bag and then I had a cooler because I was keeping my placenta so my poor husband's just he's like a a bell yeah all of these bags and now we're walking across the whole hospital again through the waiting room and we finally get into a delivery room and we had a little bit of time in there and they sat me up because she was things were happening but she was up high so they sat me up and we hung out there for a little bit and but I had this nurse and I didn't want to be rude but man she just kept talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and I even had told her I was like I really just want to try to rest I don't want to talk about this because what she was telling me was basically what's going to land me in a c-section and yeah and I was just she was basically telling me, trying to communicate to me, I think that she really needed me to work at pushing this baby out. And she was like, you're going to have this baby on my shift. I leave at seven o'clock. You're having this baby on my shift. But I'm like, yeah, okay, well, just please get out. Just go away. I just want to say, I just had that recently at a, at a hospital transfer. And I was like, she does not understand how you're supposed to be in a labor room. Like, how is this woman a labor and delivery nurse? She needs to shut up. And because, because it's not about your storytelling. It's not no. about your loud voice. It's not about what you want to say. Like this woman is trying to focus on the breath, the experience in her body. Even if you're having epidural, there's still a lot going on that you don't want to focus on someone else's words. It's so distracting. So yeah. and- and like dissonant, it's dissonant in a time when you want to be really in harmony with yourself. I would classify myself as a control enthusiast. And so I was already feeling out of control. And so it was really scary for me, like this whole thing where, so I'm even just in the delivery room and I'm just in fear, right? 
And so she's talking to me and I'm just like, please get out. I even cried to my mom and I'm like, get her out. Please get her out. Tell her to shut up. And it was just like, okay, lo and behold, like every 10 minutes or so, or what felt like 10, five, 10 minutes, she would just come in and start jabbing again. Okay, wait. So for for people listening, you can literally look up at the nurse for, or have your partner or your mom do it. Look up at them and say, I'm sorry, we need a different nurse. Like period. Or you can go out to the nurse's station and talk to the nurses there and be like, look, it's not a good match. We need someone else. Here's what's wrong. And every time I've ever said something like that in a hospital or asked the clients to say, because it was bothering them, we got a different nurse. So for future people listening, Hey, you can always ask for that nurse to be different. And the real shit of it, Lathina is that you told her what you needed and she kept disregarding you. Like, no, no. She was quite the talker. It was, she, I think that was just her personality, right? Because it was, she even made a joke about it. She was like, oh, she was like, are you tired of hearing my voice? Oh yeah, I'll shut up. But blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Okay, please don't. Too much um, coffee. Too much coffee. Yeah. yeah. And things start happening. I start having this baby and uh, I said to the nurse, I'm, I'm sitting up on the table and the bottom of the table where you're, but your feet will drop out. So you're in an upright position. And I said to her, this is how I'm birthing this baby. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is how I intend to birth this baby. And I get to pushing and all of the things and focusing and my eyes were closed. And every time I would open my eyes, I would realize that I would start to get lightheaded and dizzy. And so I'd go to open my eyes and I'm staring at the ceiling. And I'm like, what just like, why, what the happened? What happened? So I'm like, lift myself up again. Right. Put to the hospital bed, tilt back up. And oh my God, we did this about, I don't know, four or five times. And I remember one time being like, why the fuck do I keep look? Why am I looking at the ceiling? <laughs> Who's putting me down? And, yeah. and then it was her yeah. and she's, I need this, I need that. And I'm, it was just crazy chaos. And then, so she's, and then she's like flipping me over left and right. And this and that oh. one of the stirrups was broken. So she had my husband, like just holding my leg, which when you have an epidural, it's just this like sack of potatoes as a leg. <laughs> and then the maintenance man had come in to fix the stirrups as in the middle of me pushing. And my husband what? was like, dude, this is not a good time. What? It was so ridiculous. I was like, oh my God, Lathina. And you're so exposed. And I'm just like, whoa. Oh. And I don't know who this person is. I just remember my husband being like, hey, man, it's not a good time. I don't think that yeah. this is. Yeah, you should go. And I like opened my eyes and yep, there's a maintenance guy there with a tool bag. And I was like. And your legs are open and you're trying to push out a baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's and great. And you probably have the spotlight right on your vagina. Yeah, totally. Oh my God. And everything. It was, it was, it was great. And I just want to pause right there, Lathina, because your story, my belly is starting to feel bad. Oh, (laughs) no, this story, your story, it's such chaos. It's such a travesty. It's such a, it's such a, a hijacking of what you deserved as a woman at, you are a beautiful strong 
passionate, embodied woman, there's no excuse for you to have been treated like that. I'm so sorry that I am, I don't know how to like even process that level of unrespect for who you are and for what it meant for you to be like trying to push out a baby. Yeah. My conclusion after all of it is there's just no dignity in a hospital birth. You're not granted any sort of dignity whatsoever. It was just chaos. And in the moment, I will say like in the moment, it's, I open my eyes and I see this maintenance man and it's like, on one hand, I'm like, what's happening? But on the other hand, it's like, you just don't even care at the same time because yeah. you're just in the thick of it. It was just the most ridiculous thing I feel could have happened. <laughs> yeah. So, Christy used the term check out. She checked out yeah, because, because totally. at some point you realize that you don't matter to them. Oh, like, the bed mattered, the, the fixing the bed mattered, the you being in a position that was good for the nurse mattered. Right. But like, you're like, okay, I guess this is just what we're doing. I'm just going to keep having to lay flat on my back and some guy's going to come in with a screwdriver. <laughs> I know yeah. it was wild. And I obviously like to no fault to that guy, he was like, oh, I got a ticket to fix this bed. And I'm like, yeah, that was probably submitted this morning, but like, not a time. <laughs> you got to go. I get my daughter out with, there was like a short period of time, her heart rate had dropped and which now I also know is pretty common as they're coming through the birth canal. Right. And so the chaos starts again. So they put the oxygen mask on me and here's the nurse again, chirping in my ear about a C-section. And I remember my husband doesn't remember this, but I swear that I remember this. I remember hearing opening my eyes and the midwife who was actually delivering. I remember her looking at my husband and telling him I was going to get you a a gown to suit up. And I knew that's, she was talking about a C-section and I was like, no, we're not, I'm not doing that. That's not what I came here for. (laughs) Sorry. And so I just bared down and I I got her out in the next two or three pushes and everything was fine. She was perfect. They put her on my chest and then there's four hands just like rubbing her down aggressively as I'm trying to like just coddle her. She hands my husband the, the, the scissors to cut the cord and she had already clamped the cord and I had communicated, put it on my birth plan and the whole thing, we're delaying the cord clamping. Do not clamp the cord. Do not cut the cord. I told my husband, but he's just pale white, can't even remember. And um, I, I remember I opened my eyes, I leaned forward and I was like, no, stop. We're not cutting the cord. I I'm, I want to delay the the cord, and she goes, "Oh, honey, we we already did." And so then in my head, I'm like, "Oh, oh," because I had said I just wanted to delay it like five minutes, right? And so I'm like, "Oh," and then I'm thinking, "Oh, time has time is just flying, right?" And so I was like, "Oh, okay, no, I have the picture and the timestamp on my phone. It was it was within the minute that she had come out." Oh wow. That and that makes me, of all the things that makes me so angry because my daughter ended up with jaundice and one of the side effects of the miso is jaundice. But also now I was in the hospital, we were in the hospital for the next two days and 
and I know that jaundice is really common within babies, but it's a, it's scary when you are in the hospital, you're not supposed to even hold your baby at this point. And if she doesn't get over it, I go home and she stays. So I was just fuming about this whole delaying the cord clamping thing, because I'm like, I don't know if that would have helped, but that's what I wanted. And you took that away from me. And I just feel like that was at a disservice of my child's health. And so there's a bunch of points to what you just said, Latina. First, for those listening and for you, I don't know if you're aware, but actually the extra blood that the newborn gets from the placenta by not clamping the cord, that blood perfuses the whole infant body with the fluid that they're supposed to have. And then that fluid perfuses the liver and makes the liver more able to process the broken down red blood cells, which the broken down red blood cells not getting processed is what causes jaundice. And so by depriving the newborn of the extra fluid, you do increase the chance of that newborn getting jaundice because they can't break down the blood cells because their liver isn't perfused with fluid. So you are spot on in terms of that, that those two things are probably related. And then also just the simple fact of you told them what you wanted. There was no medical reason to disregard your desires. Yeah. And if there had been, they should have talked to you about it hours ago. And so again, just this, like this total disregard for you as the key decision maker in your body and for your baby, like it's, it's really disrespectful. Incredibly disrespectful. I don't know how the umbilical cord works. I know she had it clamped, but he hadn't cut it yet. When I had said that. Once it's clamped, the blood starts clotting and Mm. that's it. There's no more flow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was at a minimum, you could have unclamped it and at least made me feel better about it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. um, You felt better. Yes. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, so anyways, when we have this and then I'm supposed to have the golden hour, right? So she had come out six 57 visiting hours are until eight. And despite my request from my immediate family, they were all in the lobby (laughs) and my brother, he's just been waiting for me to have children forever. And so he was in the waiting room and they had been there since about noon. And so the nurse comes up to me as I'm supposed to be having my golden hour. She she's like, Hey, I know you, I noticed you have some family that's still in the waiting room. Visiting hours are ending. So if you want them to see the baby, they need to come in now. I don't even have my catheter out yet. Oh my gosh. I am literally just finishing up getting stitched up. And I remember there was another nurse who came, a younger nurse who was coming in for the night shift. And she's like, okay, let's get you up to, uh, we're going to walk you to the restroom and we're going to try to get you to urinate. And if you can urinate, great, blah, blah, blah. Right. (laughs) And that's when the older nurse had told me, I'm saying older as in, I should say day nurse, the day nurse had told me, Hey, this is your family's there. If you want them to see the baby, they should come in now. And I was like, 
I looked at her and I was like, I guess it's a good time for them to come in then, right? Let's go ahead. I was like, bring them in. So then I walked to the bathroom. I'm sitting on the toilet with a nurse sitting here trying to catch my urination. Straight ahead is the door. My brother walks in and I was like, hey, hurry up. You better see the baby. And I was like, please don't touch her because I have not even got to really hold her yet. And I was just, I was, I was pissed. I was yelling at everybody and I was just, I was mad. And then immediately after that, they're like, okay, well, now we got to get, take you to the post delivery room. So Tell my husband, gather everything up. And that luckily I, now we had family members. So I'm like, can you help him carry this crap to the other side of the hospital now? It was just chaos. It was chaos. It was so fast. And everybody was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And I'm like, I couldn't even catch my breath. I don't even have my catheter out. And you're demanding that my family come and visit the baby. I haven't even had the golden hour that you told me I was going to have because they lay her on your chest, but then they take her to go do all their measurements and the little test and all the things. And that's when all of this was happening. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So you really didn't get to even hold her at this point. Like you're just getting like tiny snippets of getting to hold her in between all the things. Yeah, yeah totally. I want to hand you your baby to your chest right now. I have some <laughs> urge to like, oh, no, here, hold her. Yeah. My husband, the first time he held her was when my family was in the room. And that turned out to be a nice picture that they were able to get for us. And that's not, and that was also just frustrating for me in the first place, because I actually didn't want anybody, I didn't want any visitors, but my family was just so excited and they just wanted to be supportive, but that's not how I envisioned it. It was going to be me, my husband and my mom. And that was it, at least for a solid, just cool down period, right? So then we get into the post-delivery room and things are okay for a while, but I was struggling nursing. So we're fast forwarding now. Like the first night was fine. The second day and so on, I was struggling with nursing. It was crazy painful for me. I don't know why that is. I think I was just sensitive, but I mean, I was toe, it was toe curling painful for me. And so we're having lactation car consultants come in and basically they're just saying it shouldn't be painful like that and keep doing your best. Oh my God. So they didn't have any solutions. They didn't have no. any, any thoughts as to why it might be so painful. No, nothing. And so my milk is also not coming in at this point. And so that's, that's normal. Cause it's only like day one, right? But she has jaundice. And so now they're coming in and the pressure was on because they're like, in order for her to pass this jaundice, you need to feed her. She needs to feed, right? She needs to eat. And we're, we're doing the pre and post feeding ways and she's not getting anything. And I don't, I didn't even know that it takes a couple of days for your milk to come in. So I'm just like over here thinking I'm failing, right? I'm defective. I'm defective. Yeah. My, my boobs don't work. Yeah. And it was. I just remember it being so, it was scary. It was just scary because the last thing I wanted, which is they're just constantly reminding me if she doesn't pass this jaundice by, you know, the next 48 hours, we have to discharge you. You're going home without your baby. And I'm just like, fuck. 
man. Um, so, and I'm, and so what I was doing is I was just, I just kept her on me. I'm just nursing and nursing, which was not helping my pain. Cause now, now I'm just right. totally, like, right. she's just tearing my poor nipples up really. Right. Um, it was just crazy. I finally got a nurse and her name is Lisa. She's an L and D nurse. She's a Kaiser. She was my knight in shining armor, that woman, because she came in and she sees me struggling. She sees me stressed out. She's a night nurse. And she's like looking around. And I remember just like the pure, what the heck look on her face? Like, why are we so stressed about this? Yeah. And she's like, hey. Oh, and mind you, since I had given birth, so now we're like a full, we're full almost two days in. They wake you up every, I don't know, <laughs> or five hours. Yeah. Every hour. Yeah. Um, so I'm now on three hours of sleep for two days. And so I, and I'm just at a point where I'm, I'm sobbing and I'm freaking out. And she just looks at me and she's, if it's okay with you, she's, I think you need to sleep. And she's, I'd like to bring in a little bottle of formula for her if that's okay with you. And I was like, I didn't even know you had formula, <laughs> which, I should have, maybe it was a hospital, but I'm like, I didn't even know that was an option. I'm like, yeah, feed her, please feed her. We gave her a bottle of formula. I fell asleep for maybe three, three more hours. I woke up, my milk came in and boom, immediately the floodgates opened. She started nursing and everything was well. We were gone and discharged the following. Wow. Wow. And I'm like, and then there's other nurses coming in being like, well, you really don't want to give her the formula, blah, blah. I'm like, go away from me. I'm done with you. I'm not talking to anybody, but Lisa, go get Lisa. And they're like, Lisa's a night nurse. And I'm like, I'm not talking to anybody except for Lisa. So I guess I'll be here when Lisa gets in at 7 PM. Lisa also brought me a nipple shield because I was in so much pain. And so all of the, every nurse who came in after her, you do not want to use that. You do not want to use that. They're going to get used to it. Blah, blah, blah. All these things don't use the nipple shields. And at that point I was like, I don't care what any of you have to say yeah. <laughs> Get out. Like I no. only want Lisa. Everybody I only want Lisa. Know. All of you are, all, the rest of you are delusional. Yes. Me and Lisa, we're on the same page. Yes, and that's yes. the only person I'm talking to. Yes. That put us in a position where my daughter was able to eat enough, pass the jaundice and we got to all go home together. Oh, thank goodness. Oh my God. Yes. yes. Like a shining, like you said, like a shining goodness in a, yes. in a sea of like chaos. Just chaos. And, and it was amazing to me that I was like the simplest thing of just Lisa coming in and saying, you haven't slept. Your body just went through a lot. Your mind is racing. You're stressed out. And I just give her some formula so that you can get one nap in. She's like, you, and she even told me, she was like, you never have to give her formula ever again if you don't want to. She's like, but let me just, if it's okay, can we just give her this one bottle of formula so that you can rest? And she's like, maybe your milk will come in. One of the things I really like about that part of your story is that it sounds like it's literally the first time in your story 
from Latina's perspective, it is literally the first time that any provider came in and treated you as though what you had to say was important. And so she didn't come in and say, you need to give this baby formula because she's not doing well. She came in and said, Hey, what do you think? I think if we did this, it would really help you. And here's why, how does that sound to you? Yeah. hundred percent. That, that person was like in collaboration in, in your world, instead of asking you to be in theirs. hundred yeah. percent. She was the first one to even offer a solution really. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just wild because they really want to push the breastfeeding. And I, of course I wanted to nurse, but it wasn't working. And I should have mentioned before my daughter was tiny, not tiny. She was six pounds, but she was little. So her losing the weight and then not feeding and with John, this was concerning, right? It wasn't like I birthed this 10 pound baby who had all this chunk to give, but so yeah, when, just... when they're little, you don't, you have less, less for them to lose. And then they need, like you're saying, they need to start feeding and feeding well. And you did not know that your milk wasn't going to be in. And let's go back again. They stole her cord blood from her. So yeah. she was dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So when we are dehydrated or when we don't get enough food, we, you and I get tired. It's harder for us to do things when we're dehydrated. So yes. then coming, you're coming into it under in, and complete for no reason. And that was her thing too, is because I kept trying to nurse her and she would, she would get tired. So she would just fall asleep. And so I'm trying, yeah. it was just so stressful for yeah. just no reason. That was my birth story with my first. Super lovely. I have had a lot of friends who have had some really great experiences with Kaiser. I've also heard some really horrific stories. And on a grand scheme of things, I recognize that my experience with Kaiser handling my birth, it wasn't like negligent. It wasn't anything extreme like that. It was just disempowering and chaotic, right? I just completely felt like in my, these were my husband's words when we got home. It was just that we were just on an assembly line of birth, right? And and that's what it was. It was like, you're going to, this is your spot on the assembly line and this is how it's going to go. You can only operate within this little conveyor belt of options, right? But that was that. So moving forward, I got pregnant again right after COVID happened. What does that so, mean? Can you can you tell us in in terms of uh, month and month and year? Yeah. So I had my first daughter um, May 2019, and then I found out I was pregnant when she was 11 months old. So right at the beginning of April of the following year in 2020. Okay. So we had all just got sent home from work. And a lot of uncertainty with all of that, but I had in that time frame, I had also switched insurances just 
coincidentally, I had moved on to my husband's insurance, which is, he has just like the standard kind of insurance PPO, right? And so now I'm pregnant and it's COVID and I'm trying to figure out a whole new system because I have ne- I've never been outside of Kaiser in my entire life. And so when you have PPO, you get to go all sorts of different places. Your ultrasounds over here, your OBGYNs over here, this, that, and the other, your deliveries over here. And so I'm trying to navigate that. And I ended up making an appointment with an OB. I will not name her name. I had known this OBGYN because she delivered my best friend's baby. And I was in the room when she delivered her son. I thought she was great. Now this was 12 years ago, but I remember her being enthusiastic. I remember her holding up the placenta and just being like, isn't this like the coolest thing ever? Yeah. That's what I remembered about her. And my best friend, she delivered both of her sons with her. And so she had no complaints. So I'm like, okay, I'll go with your OB. So I make an appointment with her. I was seven weeks when I made my first appointment with her. And because it was COVID, my husband couldn't be there for the ultrasound and all of that. My due date was December 31st. At my seven-week appointment, she insisted on um, scheduling my induction date. Why? What she told me was, we can schedule it for this date, blah, 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 blah. You'll be home by Christmas. Have a newborn baby by Christmas. Oh my God. I think I almost did a spit take. (laughs) You're due December 31st. Yeah. Okay. But it gets better. (laughs) Okay. I'll be, I'll be quiet. Okay. Go ahead. I'm just nodding ahead because I'm like, that's not, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And we strike up some conversation, whatever. And in the conversation, her birthday is December 31st. Okay. She wanted to go out of town for her birthday. <laughs> and so she wanted to schedule my induction date. And so I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> and that's, I'm seven, I'm seven weeks, right? Like, yeah. No, but she's thinking ahead. She's thinking seven ahead. weeks. She's trying, to make sure, she's trying to make sure you get a baby home by Christmas, baby. That's, she's just trying to look out for you. And so, you. in addition to the induction date, she wanted to schedule the C-section date past that. Huh? What? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, that's why I was like, yeah. You're like, no. I'm not, uh, oh, sorry, wrong OB, gotta go. So I get to the front and they're like, okay, what date do you want to schedule this for? And I was like, I don't, I won't, we're not, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I already went through one induction and I'm not doing it again. I'm so not, I'm not doing this again. Bye. But I was feeling a little bit more promising because this OB operated out of UCSD and UCSD has a birth center in their unit. So I was feeling a little bit more comforted by that. I don't know what it was 
that triggered me. I, I think it was that, but something triggered me to get my medical records from Kaiser. And I got my medical records and I confirmed it was the, the misoprostol was the cytotech, which I had learned a lot about at that point. I had learned that it's not even FDA approved for pregnancy induction. It's wait, did you hear that, y'all? It's not approved for no, pregnancy induction. Boop, no, boop, 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 boop. But it is widely used because it costs about 25 cents a pill. So you know how much a Foley get... balloon how much a Foley balloon costs? I would imagine they're like reusable. <laughs> no, they're not reusable. But that would be cute. But no, they're like between four and seven dollars. Well, Athena, that's a savings of they saved seven hundred percent. I know. On by giving you the miso. What's not to do? Duh. Duh. Yeah. So I started to just, I was just mad, right? I was mad at my last birth and I was mad at this miso. And so I, I just started doing some research and I can't remember the name of the documentary. I'm sure you might know it though. It's the documentary with Ricky Lake. Yeah. The business of being born. Yeah. Oh man. That was it for me. I watched this and I was like, yeah. I'm not going to the hospital, <laughs> but I wasn't quite on the whole home birth trend. I was just like, that just got my wheels turning. I, I was just, how am I going to do this differently? Because I'm not uneducated. I'm not timid. I'm willing to advocate for myself. I'm willing to speak up for myself. And I did. And it still was not what I wanted. So how am I going to do this differently? Because I cannot be out of control like this. And so I watched the business of being bored. I started reading all the Ina Mae Gaskin books and everything. And I just did a ton of research. And I started, I went down, we went down to the um, Best Start Birth Center. And I did a tour there. And I started feeling really good about it. And I was like, okay, I think this is what I'm going to do. But I'm still really nervous, right? I didn't quite, my husband's nervous. I'm nervous. But we were really fueled by this crappy experience that we had with our first. And with COVID. Oh, and that was another thing is I, I had asked that OB at the seven-week appointment. I was like, hey. I'm really concerned about my husband, like not being able to be there with COVID. And she's, no, that's not a thing. Don't worry about it. Basically. She promised me that my husband would be there. And I immediately, my red flag went up and I was like, you can't promise me that you're making empty promises. You have no idea. You don't make the rules at the hospital. And I already know that that's a lie. Yeah, she doesn't make the rules at the hospital and that could change. And at different times during COVID, it did change. Yeah, yeah. certainly. I had friends that were giving birth that had to give birth alone, right? And so I'm like, no, she's telling you what I want to hear. And that's not what I want. So part of it was to make sure that my husband was going to be able to be there. And so we went to the birth center and I was feeling really good about the birth center. 
And then the birth center told me that they could not admit me until I was like six centimeters. I remembered what six centimeters felt like. Yes. I, I live 45 minutes from the birth center. And so I was like, I looked at my husband. I was like, there's, there's 0% chance that you're getting me in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Not only do we live 45 minutes away, but there's only one way to get there. And so I'm like, I'm going to go into labor at three 30 on a a Tuesday afternoon. There's going to be an hour and a half of traffic. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, how am I going to time this? How am I going to, how am I going to time it so that I show up at the birth center at six centimeters and no farther because I might be having my baby at that point and no sooner because you're not going to let me in. And I have an hour and a half of drive time in in labor. How am I going to do that? Yeah. So I, I just went down the rabbit hole on home birth and I'd already watched that documentary, but that I started just doing a ton of research and I started interviewing midwives and you were obviously one of them. And my biggest concern was being that we live on the outskirts was it's still, it's a 30 minute drive to the nearest hospital. And that was my biggest concern. That was my husband's biggest concern. And then when I talked to you, you were like, oh no, I just did a delivery. That's 15 minutes past my right house. And so I was like, great, perfect. That's perfect. And so and again, for the listeners, the, the international standard is that you are safe to have a baby outside of hospital when the hospital is within 30 minutes of, of the birthing place. So that's WHO accepted all the countries where home birth is a norm, as long as the birth location is within 30 minutes of a hospital, that's considered safe for transport. So to me, your 20 or 30 minutes from a hospital was very reassuring. Yeah, that was great. I sat on it for a while. I thought about it, but then I went back to my OB appointment and this was right about the time that you and I had been connecting to a point where we were going to go into contract, but before I had solidified it, I want to make sure I'm not just surrounding myself with information that I want to hear. So I'm going to go to this OB. I'm going to ask her about it. Yeah. Let me run this by the person who said she was going to cut me open. Yes. So that for my own, but for my own benefit by December 31st. I wanted to hear yes. like devil's advocate. Yeah. I get like, it. Let me hear what she has to say. Right. Because my, my brother-in-law is a doctor and he didn't really have much to say about it. Was he like gung-ho for it? No, but didn't really have much to say. I was like, okay, let me go to this OB and this is going to be my last appointment. If I sign up with Katie and I'm just going to toss it out there. And I had already pretty much decided that that's what I was going to do, but I really needed to hear the devil's advocate portion of it. And it was so great what she said. And it just, (laughs) I have been racking my brain to try to remember verbatim what it was. 
and I cannot, but I can absolutely tell you the gist of it. I told her that I was intending on having an out-of-hospital birth and I was going to birth at the birth center. I had asked her about the birth center. I was like, have you heard anything about this? What is the reputation among your field and colleagues? And what are your opinions about it? And she's doesn't have an OR. And I said, no, it's not a hospital. It's a birth center. And she's like, I never heard of it. And I was like, that's weird. It's, it's been around for 20 something years. And you've been practicing in the same city for 20 something. You've never heard of it. She's like, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I bring up the home birth situation, right? <laughs> and so she's, she's stuck on this whole, it doesn't have an OR. So it's not, it doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, she's like, what are you going to do if you need emergency surgery? And I was like, call an ambulance. I don't know. Right. And she, so then I asked her about the home birth and she said, she just looked at me and I could tell it was like deer in headlights looks. And she said, do you want my personal and my professional opinion? I said, both. She said, if you were down to your last piece of bread, would you eat it or would you give it to your child? And I like, I was like, obviously I would give it to my starving child. And she's like, again, I don't remember verbatim what she said, but she told me this drawn out, incredibly exaggerated story about a woman who she had seen while she was a resident who had done some home, home birth, what I can tell you now, this woman had done an unassisted birth by a woman who posed to be a midwife, had gone past 42 weeks, labored at home for 48 hours with no water, and she lost her baby. It was a totally wild extravagant story of someone who just did something incredibly irresponsible right she had this woman who was not a midwife taking care of her her water broke and she labored at home for like two or three days and she was like way beyond 42 weeks I think she even said she was 43 weeks it was just the weirdest story I I it didn't apply to me, right? She was trying to draw these connections to this happening to me, but I was like, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not doing an unassisted birth, first and foremost. I'm hiring a real midwife, second of all. And I obviously would not go against even my midwife's recommendation of 42 weeks. When my midwife says you need to go to the hospital, I would go to the hospital, right? I'm not here to be negligent. I'm here to do something different. So her story didn't apply to me and I just laughed it off. And she said that she thought that I was incredibly irresponsible and it would be incredibly selfish for me to birth outside of a hospital just because I wanted to feel a certain way about it. I wish that I could remember the verbatim statement because it was, it was gold. It was the chef's kiss. I remember, and I, I laughed and I just like, because what she said to me was so not just unprofessional, but it was, 
was just extreme, right? It was just extreme. And so I just looked at her and I just, oh, okay. I'll mail you a postcard after my successful birth, right? I don't know. Oh, girl, I hope you did that. <laughs> um, no, I did not. I did not. No, um, no, I, I totally get it. I'm just kidding, but. It was so offensive what she says. I'm so upset. I've been racking my brain for days to try to remember the verbatim sentence because I used to repeat it to myself while I was prepping for this. I used to repeat it to myself because it made me angry. And it made me angry because I knew that that wasn't correct. It made me angry because I knew her C-section rate was well over 30%. It made me angry because I had done research on the statistics of the safety of it. And it made me even more angry because the majority of her patient clientele are low-income individuals on 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 medical and god it just made me mad and like you have it was offensive and audacious the way she said it and the way she demeaned me in that conversation yeah. so i was like okay kindly f all the way off and i will not be seeing you again <laughs> It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. <laughs> it's, um, it's those words. It's so irresponsible of you. It's so, what was the other? Selfish. Selfish. So because Brene I wanted Brown, to feel a certain way about Brene, it. Renee Brown has a word for that. She says it's called name calling. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of trying to take someone else's power. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that if she had come back to you and she had said, look, here's what I understand the statistics to be. I understand that this is the infant mortality rate for home birth versus the infant mortality rate for hospital birth. You could then research and you could say to yourself, okay, is that, are those numbers correct? Do I agree? Do I still feel safe to do a home birth given those statistics? I... The problem with simply calling you irresponsible and selfish is like you said, it, it makes you the bad guy, yeah. takes away your power and doesn't give you any, any kind of direction about why she thinks that, except for this, like you said, extreme story. It's it just to me, I, I'm constantly aware now I have this lens and I'm like, is the pregnant person or the birthing person or the postpartum person, are they being treated as the authority, the queen, the royalty that they are? And if not, it's usually to the benefit of the person who's not treating them well. And so I'm just hearing that in the absence of actual evidence, she just called you names. Yeah. What I had expected when I had gone in to ask for her opinion, I had, I was, I, I wanted to hear somebody tell me, this is why I feel it's unsafe. And these are the reasons, Right. but what she did and what she said instead was inappropriate and wildly unprofessional and demeaning. I, I just, it made me, it made me so mad, but to her credit, in hindsight, it's what I needed. Mm. I was just like, <laughs> okay. She actually pushed you in the other direction. Yeah, a hundred percent. I was like, okay, I will show you. So once I had that conversation with her, and I, 
had asked for her opinion and she gave me this insult, right? Um, I just took that as a challenge. <laughs> I was just, I was so offended. I have a career that I've worked really hard for. And so I'm a stickler when it comes to professionalism in a lot of ways. And to me, I was just like, ah, that it bothered me so much that she was just, it was unprofessional. And she, just to formulate such a strong opinion like that, when she clearly had no idea about any of it. Okay, that's fine. So I, I took it as a challenge and it fueled my fire a little bit. And that's really when I, I was at a point where I was committed to just jumping in with both feet. Um, still really nervous. I think I was like, I don't know, somewhere in like the 20 ish week mark. So I was about halfway through <clears throat> and, and it was just cause I needed to convince myself basically. And so I started doing a lot of reading and just looking thing, all different things up. And then I was getting my hair done by a, a girlfriend that I had known since high school. I had told her that I was thinking about doing a home birth. And she said that her sister had done a home birth and her sister actually owns a, a chiropractic care business in Santee that caters to prenatal care. I needed that at the same time. So I went and I saw her and we developed a relationship and she also felt filled me with confidence in hearing her story. And that was when I was like, okay, this is it. This is what we're doing. What did Corey think at that point? Was he totally on board? Yeah, he was, but it was a progression, right? It was all of those things. He was there for the Kaiser experience and that documentary. Oh, the business of being born. Yes. We watched that together and it clicked for the both of us. And then I started just sharing all the different things that I was finding with him about it. And yeah, he was like, if you're comfortable with it, let's do it. Let's just do it at home. We were both a little skeptical, a little nervous, but again, my first pregnancy was unremarkable. It would have been even more unremarkable had they have just let it happen versus intervening, right? So leading the witness a little bit here, but yeah. did the prenatal care with your midwife influence your level of confidence? Did it help you progressively over those next 20 weeks build into the idea that like, I think that she knows what she's doing. Oh, we're really in good hands. There's really security behind this. Did all those things start to come into more? Did you feel more settled by the time you were giving birth? Uh, yes, but I got there in a different way. So for me, and this may be somebody else's similar experience coming from a hospital birth, right? You come from hospital prenatal care. It's very hands-on, right? You're taking all these classes, <laughs> about how to be a good patient. And they're essentially holding your hand every step of the way. 
And then when we started the prenatal care together, I actually felt the opposite. It was very free spirited. I felt like you just, you had put your, you knew me and you put your trust in me. You were like, you know, what's best for you. And this is how we're going to handle it. Right. It was also very different for me because I had Kaiser my entire life and Kaiser's this one-stop shop where they just do everything under one roof. So it felt a little bit more hands-off for me and it did correlate to me absolutely having complete confidence in myself because that's what I needed. Right. I needed to believe in myself a hundred percent in order to, to do it, especially especially the days leading up because then you've done so much prep work and mental prep work, not just buying all the stuff and physically it's a lot of mental prep work. And so then you get to a point where I'm like, man, over my dead body, are we going to the hospital? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm doing this here, but I did feel really good about it. I just, like your birth was not easy from my perspective, in spite of all the mental prep work you had done. So I'm really curious, maybe it's a couple of years later, like how you think your birth was and, and did it seem hard or did it just seem like, a, you know, effort? Yeah. Tell, tell us what, how was your birth for you? Yeah. All that mental work that I did completely paid off. I never once doubted my ability to finish. Never. In the whole moment, I'm sarcastic and I, one of my coping skills is to make humor. And so I had joked about what dumb idea this was. And I was like, whose idea was this? And I was like, just take me to the hospital. And I expected everybody to laugh and just be like, nope, we ain't going to the hospital. But instead everybody was like, okay, is that what you want to do? And I was like, no, absolutely not. That's not what we're doing. (laughs) But physically, it was tough physically. I think once it got to the point, the last, the hardest part, right? I don't remember feeling, oh my God, I can't do this. Oh my God, this is it for me. I can't do this. I was at that point, I was so in the zone. It was physically challenging for me. I was not leaving that house unless you told me. Yeah. Your baby's in trouble. I was not leaving that house. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I think you had even gotten to a point where you were like, you're working really hard and this is going on a lot longer than I anticipated. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, you're right. And it sucks. But as long as her heart rate is okay, like we're not, I'm not going to the hospital and I'm not getting in the car. Yeah. It was pretty remarkable. Um, she was cockeyed. She was a little stuck, right? That's, that was the hiccup. Her head was tilted a little bit and she was coming down crooked. And so she didn't come down for a long time. So it was about nine hours for me of like active labor. By the time my doula had got there, right when she walked in, she's, oh, we are moving. And everybody anticipated too, being that it was my second, that this was going to fly. And so I remember her calling you and I remember you asking for me to get on the phone. And I was like, "Mm -mm, like, I'm, 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 my head is in the couch and I am (laughs) mooing. 
I'm like, I cannot get on that phone. And so we were all like, okay, ready? This is going to happen. And I was, I was pumped. I was like, yes, this is going to go quickly. And it did not go quickly. It continued on for quite some time. And there were moments of feeling helplessness in the actual physical piece of it because you get to a point and I don't I hope this doesn't scare any anybody who's in hoping for a home birth you get to a point where none of the counter pressure and the bath and the shower and the ball and the movements and something none of those things work anymore and for me that was like three hours long of nothing is working and so it was certainly exhausting but I think there was I think maybe in just those three hours to me looking back in hindsight I think that was like the stagnant period where she was not coming down and I think my body was working really hard to fix that issue but once things were properly moving in a forward direction and she wasn't just stuck to me that was when I was able to just get in the zone and just completely just focus yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me when the baby is stuck like you said when they're not making progress because they're not in a good position, the, the woman's body typically works extra hard to try to rotate the baby. And so, <laughs> a woman will look up at me and sometimes she'll say, I feel like nothing's happening. Yeah. Um, or I, I feel like the baby's not moving. And so to me, this is one of the hallmarks of midwifery care is that then you have providers who are patient and also generally skilled at helping babies to rotate. So I don't remember if we did anything um, particularly or if we just were patient and she eventually rotated, but um, whatever it was, like you had the perseverance and the commitment to deal with that. And then eventually she did make some kind of shift because she eventually got born. Yeah, we did some, we did a couple maneuvers, I guess, if you will, we put me in some interesting positions and we lifted my belly when during a contraction and did all those different things and I assume that's what alleviated all of that but it was quite some time and I I didn't want to get out of the, the tub either I think that prolonged it and in hindsight my doula, I have to give her credit because the second that she got there, she wanted to do the belly lifts during the contractions and they don't feel good. And so I was like, no, we're not doing them. And she's like, we really should do them. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> and so I paid for it in the back end, but it was an intense time, but man, it was so redeeming. I why? Oh, there's such a wave of relief. Either on any type of birth, right? There's such a wave of relief that comes after you birth the baby, and then 
they give you the first cry and you know that things are well. And it's such an incredible wave of relief. And I think that is amplified when you're at home because not only was it this physical challenge of birthing naturally that society tells you you shouldn't do or you can't do, but you have that added pressure of I'm at home and there is some element of fear that's always in the back of your mind that we're away from a hospital. It, it's there. It's, it, I don't know that it is ever not there for anybody. Again, unless you grew up watching the women in your family birth at home, I don't know how that fear can't sit in the back of your head to say, oh man, what if something happens? And so I think the wave of relief was amplified, but also it's just, it was incredibly empowering. And the word I have always described it as, especially in comparison to my first was dignified because there's not 20 people that come rushing in to see you in all your glory with your knees above your head, your, your knees by your ears. I was the maintenance in- man with the screwdriver didn't come in. <laughs> yes. There's so many people in even a normal birth when you're in a hospital that rush in at the last minute, right? Um, you don't have that at home. I even have, I've, I have the video of when she actually came out and you don't see any part of me other than my belly. It's just so much more dignified. You don't feel so vulnerable in that sort of sense. Um, wow. And then it just calms. Right. Obviously, again, my baby was healthy. She started crying and then it was just, it was calm. You didn't make me get out of the tub. I just, I just sat there, me and my husband, we sat there and we just relished Mm. in the fact that we had the baby and it was done and nobody tried to take her away. Nobody was wiping her down. Nobody was touching her. That was it. It was just, we did it and we were in complete control and we, I don't know. It was just, it was empowering. And then you have the whole moment of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I did that. I did that. And I sound silly because this is what we've been doing for centuries, thousands of years, if you will. I don't know how long humans have been on the earth. You haven't, you haven't been doing it for thousands of years. You'd only done it now twice. But women, this is what women do. (laughs) Women birth. I know, but you have never seen it. You've never seen it in person or most people haven't. And your first birth was not anything like you had designed. And so here you are. I just want to say, because like, yeah, we've been doing it for thousands, like literally, what is it? We're, I think we're like 200,000 years old or something like, but it's your first time to do that. You shatter that idea that society has just put into your head that women can't birth. Women shouldn't birth. Birth is this dangerous thing that has somehow upheld the entire (laughs) human species. And yet we can't do it. It's for some reason. It's now this emergency and it's completely disempowering and undignified. And so when you do it, I was just in complete awe that that I had done that. 
I have a video of my mom. She's just bawling on your shoulder because she's <laughs> in, in complete disbelief that even happened. I'm like, mom, my grandmother birthed her just the same way, basically. Mm. And why is it in one to two generations mm. we have just been completely stripped of our power to birth, right? I, I, it amazes me. It completely amazes me. Yeah. And that was a big part of my, my mental prep, um, right? I, I didn't mention before, but I had, my husband and I had taken a, a hypnobirthing class with a different doula, not the one that I had at my actual birth. Do you want to name the doula so that she has credit on this podcast? Sure. Yeah. My, the doula that I did the hypnobirthing classes with is Summer Silvera. And then the the doula that was at my birth, Laura Maduro, she's actually, she's in school to be a midwife now. Oh, um, cool. And then Summer's whole class was, it was just making you understand and believe that you can do this because this is what we've been doing, right? This is how I got here, essentially, right? This is how we all got here. And one to two generations ago, this is how it was happening. Yeah, it's actually, it's a little longer depending on your particular family's history, a little shorter for some families, but it's, it's mind blowing how, if you lose it in the first generation. So my grandmother's generation, the women were all basically put to sleep for their births. And then, yeah, it's really a mind blower to think about what that means. And then what does that mean for her bonding, her natural hormones for her and her baby? And then what does it mean for the baby's brain? And then they were all told not to breastfeed their children. So they didn't breastfeed. So my mother's generation would have been not breastfed and not had conscious mothers at their births. What is that? What reaction does that cause? And then my, by at least my mom was one of the Lamas, like I we're taking back our birth. She was one of those. And, and it's almost like we're, we're having to fight really hard to get it back in a way that represents us. And I know that some people listening to this will, will be in favor of women should be allowed to have epidurals and medication. And of course I'm not, the good news is that's what we have now. <laughs> We've developed those technologies and those systems and that support in case of that's what a person wants. But if they don't want that right now, our hospital systems are not set up for that to not happen. No. And so then when you went in for your natural birth, that's not what you got. And, and I just think it's so exciting. Like the number of women like you, Latina, who want a home birth or want a dignified birth, want an autonomous birth is growing. And so we're reseeding the earth with this empowerment for, for the families who want this. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the greatest thing, <laughs> I'll go back to the specifics of Great. Um, the the day of the birth, but before that, having my second daughter at home, 
was one of the greatest decisions I think I've ever made. I can't even begin to articulate how that empowerment has just had a domino effect in my life. Like I, there has, there is, I I no longer have, we all have self-doubt, right? I'm not here to say that I don't share normal feelings of (laughs) self-doubt, but I am constantly reminding myself over and over again that I birthed my daughter in my living room after nine and a half hours of active labor there ain't shit that I can't do. (laughs) There is, it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm, Whoa. That's why I, a big part of it is when I say it's redeeming, it's redeeming in a lot of different ways. It's redeeming in all the trauma that I, that was associated with my first, because I, yeah, the epidural does impede on all of the chemical reactions in your body and your brain. And so it's that, that flush of hormones that you get when you first have your baby. I didn't have that. And again, I had attributed that somehow to my husband, not doing X, Y, Z or whatever. And it just wasn't true. It was that I, I was chemically modified. And so I didn't have that natural way of, of hormones that made me feel good, right? Made me feel all of these things. And I also was stripped of all my power in process of it. Having that home birth, just it just redeemed all of it for me because it was no longer, I, I can do it. I did it. I knew I could do it from the start. It wasn't me who couldn't do it. And it wasn't me who didn't believe in myself. It was everybody around me. And I was in a environment that didn't allow me to do what I knew I could do. And that was birth my own child. And yeah, it was redeeming in all of those ways. And now I don't have any of the negative feelings that I had about my first birth. Yeah. I'm like annoyed about my first birth, but the emotional gut emptiness that I used to feel I don't feel that way anymore because I could do it I told you all I could do it you're the ones that screwed it up not me (laughs) um yeah yeah wow It it was redeeming in a lot of ways but on a detail to go back to like why else it was so great it was I sat on my couch my husband first of all my husband was able to catch the baby with your assistance and guiding her out and then my my husband was in the pool with me because I made him get in there and I was sitting essentially in his lap with our daughter on me and he was able to just embraced the both of us and we just sat there I don't know how long until I had looked at you and realized that the water was cold and I was like I think I'm ready to get out now and so we got out my husband held the baby and we hung out on the couch I don't know for I have no idea the, the amount of time but we just 
we were just present in the moment, like everybody, all of us, right? You did the things that you needed to do and check up on me and all of that. And we checked the baby out and, but it was just, we were just present. It was just like a release of anxiety, right? It was just great. My doula went in the kitchen and she cooked us all a meal. Mm, I, I remember hot- that. That was <laughs> delicious. Yeah. That I saved my life. <laughs> the way that I like my coffee in the mug that I like my coffee in. <laughs> I remember that actually. And it was just great. It was just great. And then when it got to a point where we, the two of us went into my room and we did all the mechanical fixings, if you will. The, <laughs> my my daughter was with my mom and my husband. She wasn't with some nurse or anything. And, and then I slept in my own bed while my mom was there and my support system was there even after y'all left. And I didn't have anybody sitting and knocking on my door and waiting to come into my house. And this was the decision that my husband and I made, but we did not tell anybody that I was in labor. We didn't tell anybody that I was having home birth because we wanted to be present. We wanted to just have our time. And that's what we did. We had our time for the entire next day. And then the next day was when we finally told everybody in the following night. So we had the first 24 hours was completely to ourselves with the exception of my mom. And then my dad had brought in her big sister and we had that moment all together and we, yeah, we it was just calm. Mm-hmm. calm. It sounds so cozy. Like cozy, I, it was a great word. Cozy. Yeah. Is great. Yeah, yeah. It sounds so cozy. And in your first birth story, so, like there was a lot of this, you didn't overplay it, but there were clearly like disruptions and interruptions and things that disrupted your flow. And while that's like you said, it's not, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, that was medically wrong. It's, it's not ill-intended, not, I guess. It's not ill-intended. It's just not very nice. It's annoying. It, it's annoying. It doesn't lend itself to that. What is really just this magical time where you're holding your sweet little baby and their husband's right there. And then your first daughter comes in and your mom comes like, it's a beautiful family time. Mm-hmm. God willing. And right. it's so nice to have that. It just feels like it, that's how it should be. That's the way of our heart's content is for it to go like that. Yeah. And then it was just, man, it was so incredibly comfortable to be home. (laughs) Even in the the days following you came to my house. I I don't know how, I can't remember how many times, maybe four days in a row or or something around that to do all the checkups with the baby and do the checkups with me. And I was, I'm in my bed, any family who wants to come, they're coming to my home. So it's, when people ideally should be bringing you food and like coming to help clean up the house or something like that, like those things actually lend themselves to do that because they're coming to visit you and the baby at your home. They're not coming to a hospital and bringing you flowers that now you have to shove in the car and bring home 
along with all your other stuff, I don't have to worry about unpacking because before you have to pack a hospital bag, but you know what packing means. And then you got to unpack it and that never happened. (laughs) Uh, And, and then everything that I had, everything that you have for the baby, all their outfits, all their, their binkies and their bottles and their, your breast pump and all of that stuff that you have prepared, you're at home and you know exactly where it's at. And Mm. you don't, no fuss around trying to tell your husband, can you find the pacifier? I think it's in one of the side pockets of that bag of whatever. Can you find my other pair of underwear? No, you've got all your stuff. You're in your own bathroom. You're taking your own shower. It's just wildly much more comfortable. I even remember your coffee. And I really feel like in, in our culture, once a family or once we as a people recognize that home birth is actually safe, at least as safe as hospital birth, <laughs> then the accoutrement, but having the coffee in your own cup, cuddling up with your own blanket and your partner, it's like, well, why wouldn't that be what you'd want? And I don't know if this is I have said it was for two reasons. One, because I've been at home from day one. I had her at home. But also two, I, I'm i a huge bone broth believer. So I have to like just say like credit this somewhat to bone broth because I think it does. But I did not get the grogginess. Those two hour increments, two and a half hour increments of sleep that I was getting, I was fine. I was functioning versus my first. And maybe that was just (laughs) the shock of all of a sudden having a baby, but no, I don't think so because now you have two. So I know I had a newborn and a toddler and, but the two hours that you get of sleeping, usually you're struggling with sleep and you're lethargic and you're groggy and you're, you know, cranky and postpartum and all the things. I didn't get that with my second. And in my opinion, it's because I'm at home. I'm sleeping well in my bed. I've got all my pillows and all the cracks and cooks and things that I want. And I'm comfortable in my own home. My husband's sleeping well. So he's able to give even more percent than I can give, right? My other daughter's sleeping well. And then it's just a domino effect of all these different things. I really, I have to give some credit to some bone broth because I think that does help, but being in your own bed, it's just crazy because once you come home from the hospital, you really cannot sleep in the hospital. You really cannot sleep in the hospital because in addition to having to feed your baby around the clock, again, I know I mentioned it before, but they are knocking on the door every hour and a half to take your blood pressure and check your bleeding and all of these things that are so disruptive to your sleep. And meanwhile, they're telling you, go to sleep, get some good sleep. (laughs) And so when you come home, now you're, you have to catch up on sleep, but you never get to catch up on sleep because you have a newborn, right? Yeah, birthing at home for me, it was a huge benefit. I, I just... I wasn't tired like you would expect. Devastated. You weren't devastated, tired. No, not. I was totally functioning and I was totally fine. 
completely fine. I wanted to say a couple things. I, if you experience trauma at the hospital, which you did, and then you're coming home, like it's almost like you're, you packed that in your suitcase too, and you can't help it. It just is. And so then not only are you learning how to breastfeed a baby and you're losing all this sleep, but you're also like, you have this internal disharmony from the way the birth went. And we know that there are cultures in the world who don't even have a word for postpartum depression, right? They have better community. So I'm not going to say that's all because of birth. I think that they have generally more community support postpartum and, and also the normal hormones do help you get through all of that. And if you're not carrying the extra baggage, so it all makes sense that it would have been a better postpartum. Somebody was joking with me that I should, the next podcast should be a better next postpartum, but <laughs> you're starting off on the right foot, right? You got sleep, yeah. a good food, coffee, <laughs> all the things. Yeah. And Brinley, your first daughter is not, is not also suffering from two days of mom and dad being gone. I don't know where they went. And then now there's this new baby that kind of took my place. Like she's integrated into the whole experience. Even if the child leaves for a few hours with grandpa, when they come back, it's still like their home. It, it, I feel like for the, the first children, it's much, much gentler also. But anyway, I really want to talk about bone broth. Do you have a recipe that you want to share with people? Because I don't actually know how to make bone broth. And I feel like I'm a pretty crunchy hippie, so I probably should. Yeah. If you share the link with me, I'll put it in the podcast notes. I don't really have too much of a recipe. Now that I I make it all the time, I keep a gallon Ziploc bag in my freezer and all of my food scraps I put in there. So like anytime I like peel a carrot or slice an onion, the ends of the onion, lemon peels, garlic, celery root, like any food scraps I throw in that freezer bag. And then I put it in my Instapot with usually like a chicken carcass um, from, you could do a rotisserie chicken if you'd like, but however you get chicken bones, chicken feet are really rich in collagen. So I use chicken feet. And then I like to also throw in a couple beef marrow bones or any beef bones that I have. So I like to give a, a range. You can get a pack of turkey necks at sprouts for really cheap. And so I throw it all in there. You have to throw a little bit of apple cider vinegar in there. And I usually pressure cook it for two and a half hours. And then I slow cook it overnight. And then the next day I just strain it with some cheesecloth into some mason jars and I freeze it and I love it. And, and then when I'm ready to drink it, like a little squeeze of lemon, a little crack of salt helps. I had a friend who recommended it to me and she has a little homestead and she recommended it to me, but shortly after I thought it was you who recommended it, but maybe it was my doula. And after, after both people recommended it, I was like, okay, I should try this. And yeah, that mixed with being at home was glorious. And where do you get beef marrow bones? You can buy them at the store. 
Sprouts has like a freezer bag of a couple beef marrow bones. Yeah. Okay. Or if you get a, a bone in steak, you can just throw that bone in the. Okay. In the Excellent. Excellent. Bag. My partner cooks with a lot of beef, so that should be very doable for us. Yeah. And as long as you put that apple cider vinegar in there, that pulls out all of the good stuff from the bones. Okay. And when it's done, not the big beef marrow bones, but like the regular chicken bones, you can just smash them with your fingers. If you can oh, smash them. Oh, okay. You're good to go. Okay. Straight I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Chicken bones, like you can smash chicken bones with your fingers? After you're, you've cooked it for long enough, yeah. Okay. Oh no, I didn't know that. You no, know, you've gotten all the goodies out of there. Yeah. I also keep my veggies for a stock, but I didn't, but if you don't use a freezer bag, which I never thought of that technique, then Mm -hmm. if you don't use a freezer bag, then it goes bad if you don't use it fast enough. So I like your, I like the freezer idea. Yeah. I try to make big, big batches of it. It's so helpful when we're sick and the kids are always sick and yeah. (laughs) And my dad, actually, this is topic, but my dad ended up, he, a year ago this month, he had a heart attack. Oh, and I had a ton of bone broth and that was so helpful in his recovery because he had to open wow. heart surgery. Wow. So it was really nice to have all of that. Yeah. 10 out of 10 recommend. How's he doing? He's doing fantastic now. Great. Great. That's amazing. What medicine can do. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. all, I'm in favor of the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Lathina, before we close, is there anything else that you would just want to impart? Anything that you want to share from your journey? I think right now in our political climate, if you will, I feel it so much that women, we're taking our power back in so many ways. Yeah. And to me, taking our power back in this way, in birthing is monumentous. I, I truly feel that way. When I say that birthing my second daughter at home empowered me in like all aspects of my life, I, I completely and utterly mean it. I, again, that self-doubt is Yes, it's there, but it's almost shattered every time I think about it, right? Every time I it comes to the forefront of my head of, like, oh, no, I can't do this, or I don't want to do it. Even when I'm at the gym now, just regularly, and things are hard, it's, I can do hard things, which was one of the mantras that my doula was singing to me during my labor. And it's true. It's so true. And to be in an environment where not only you're comfortable because you're at home and you have the people that you want around you, but then you also have people, midwives, who you, and doulas who are professional and know what they're doing. And you trust that you're in safe hands with people who are empowering you it's night and day. I remember the assistant that you brought with you was Emma. And there was something about Emma. I really didn't get to know her too much. Something had happened and she had come in my last appointment. I think I had only met her once. Surprised if you met her at all. What happened was I was essentially called to two births at the same time. So I went to yours and the other half of my team went to the other birth. 
And so that's how we wound up with Emma. And she's spectacular. Emma Moreland, by the way, everyone. Emma Moreland. There was something about her. I don't know if it was just because she, I know she has five kids, (laughs) maybe six now, but there was just something about her that was incredibly comforting for me. And she was the one that was with the Doppler checking the heart rate during my, my labor. And I just remember, I would just look up and I would just lose myself in her eyes. And cause she's so calm. There was something about her. Maybe it was just a, a very motherly presence for me. Even though my mom was there, uh, I knew my mom was barely hanging on by a thread <laughs> in the panic department. Even just having that, even just having somebody who you trust to keep you safe, to be able to look up at them and have a reassurance and just have a smile of just like the energy of this is fine. This is normal. You're doing it. And we're all in this together. That's why I never had the doubt, right? Because I never once felt like anybody else in that room, maybe aside from my mom, but she she did a good job. Worry. There was no worry. There was nothing like that. Even though I was working hard and I was in the throes and the thick of it. And all of that mixed together is is just empowering. And that's just the epitome, epitome, in my opinion, of women building up other women. And not to say a man can't do this, can't do midwifery or doula care or anything like that, but it was just something remarkable just to be in that space. And there is like a moment of almost like out-of-body kind of experiences. And so there is like a little bit of element of maybe if you're spiritual, you might resonate with that. It truly was the best decision that I think I could have made. And even though it was tough and I don't intend on having any other kids, I I, I would do it again. How, how could I not do it again? Why, how could I possibly, I don't know how anybody can possibly choose an undignified, chaotic and disempowering experience in a hospital where you're not listened to, you're not heard, you're on an assembly line. And you can't leave even if you wanted to. (laughs) If I told you I wanted to go walk around out back, you would have been like, okay. If I told you I wanted to go walk out front naked, you probably would have been like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you want, if that's- the middle of winter. Yeah. Yeah. It's still California. Yeah. I remember telling my husband, because I had the fire lit. I remember him telling him like the fire was going out. Like put some more wood on the fire. And everybody was like, okay. It was beautiful. Yeah. I really, of all the things that you shared, the thing that resonates so clearly with me is how it is to be held by Emma. I also experienced her that way. And just even yesterday, I was sitting with a girlfriend and telling her what's hard about my life for me right now. And just the way she looked at me and held me. Yeah. It's so important how we hold each other. And in birth in particular, it's this very dynamic, very transformational moment. And so you being held by Emma in that way, where she's 
I loved how you said it. It was so Emma. It was like something like, this is normal. We're all in this together. It's just very basic. Yeah. Very foundationally calm. And then that's what you're taking into your spirit because she's holding that with you. And, and it was true for you anyway. That's what was possible for you. And so it spoke to you and you held it. So yeah, it totally did. And I remember, I remember actually being disappointed initially because Ashley was supposed to be the assistant with you. And I had really connected with Ashley during my prenatal care. And so I was really excited for her to be there. And then, so when I had found out initially that she wasn't going to be there, I was disappointed, but boy, I just fell in love with looking at Emma and I was just like, oh God, thank God she's here. And I don't even think she said a word. I don't know if she said a word, to be honest. Emma, if you ever get to listen to this podcast, her presence is special. Yeah. I, I hope she does. Cause I actually never, I never saw her after the birth. Yeah. Uh, I never got to thank her or tell her that. And it was so unexpected, right? Because we had developed a relationship. I had developed a relationship with my doula. And of course those aspects were there, but it was just this unexpected, calm, warmness, mm-hmm. motherly, I don't know if protectiveness, or maybe it was just because she has five kids and I knew she's been through this five times. <laughs> I don't know. But I just remember thinking like, ah, oh, I'm so glad that she's here. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was so simple. I really don't think she even said a word. <laughs> she has a very um, embracing presence and, and also there's a lot of I feel a lot of freedom in her presence like basically her presence says everything's okay yeah totally and everybody that was how the whole energy was in in the whole room right but everybody's got different jobs right you're calculating everything. You're watching everything. My right, you and my doula are going back there, and you're like, I think she needs something to drink. I think she needs something to eat. Right? Everybody's I got the move because the baby's in a bad position. Yeah, I oh, do well. remember that yeah. conversation overhearing yeah. it. I was like, what are they talking about? I'm not going to the hospital. What are they talking about? <laughs> but everybody's got their roles, and that was Emma's role. That was what she was there for. I'm totally convinced. And yeah. In our, in the midwife world and the doula world, we say that whoever's meant to be at the birth will be at the birth. Totally. So it makes sense. Ashley brought you what you needed in the prenatal time and the way that Ashley is where she's so funny and so light and so charming. And she's a mother of four. So that probably resonated with you. And then we got very lucky and we got Emma for your birth. Ashley would have been great. Right. <laughs> but yeah. also yeah. Emma just has this wonderful presence I I totally agree with that everybody who's meant to be will be there will be there because yeah. yeah like I said I I was initially disappointed and I was like I really wanted Ashley to be there but you manifested the right person for you yeah so it was great anybody who's listening to this wondering if they can do it you absolutely can do it 
you, you can absolutely do it. It's not about whether or not you can do it, in my opinion. It, it's about whether you're supported in an environment that allows you to step into your power in order to do it. That's what it's about. And that's, to me, that's what midwifery is. That's what home birth is about. There's my quote. <laughs> Mic drop. Athena Pippen, everyone. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. No. <laughs> so it would be foolish of me to think that I could walk into a hospital and say, it's going to be different this time. No, it is not. No, it is not. I'm not in control of the hospital. So. Yeah. yeah. Right. And as much as anyone can be in control of birth, I think you, you were at home. You 110%. You only have so much control over the natural events of the world, but you have a lot more of that when you're in an environment that's yours. Lathina, I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for this. And I hope that when you listen to it, you will be as amazed by your storytelling as we all are. Yes. I love telling it because... Good. It, it was absolutely amazing. And thank you. Thank you for doing the podcast because yep. I would have totally been listened to it during my mental prep period. And these stories I think are worthy, even if yes. you are somebody who ends up in a hospital and wanting yes. to do a hospital birth, even if you want to do a hospital birth, knowing that there is another way, even in a hospital birth, right? Yes. Yes. Makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And then to you for facilitating my birth and just being that open door for me to be able to do that is, I can't thank you enough for doing what you do. I'm, and you're opening the doors for anybody else who listens to this, everybody else, and who's been told they can't do it. Yeah. Because they can. I think midwifery is going to change the world one birth at a time <laughs> that's what we're doing thank you so much for that Lithina. Yeah. I, really, I really heard what you said and it's it's the job I, I want and so thank you for telling me I'm doing a good job yes yes you are yeah all right thank you Katie it was good to see you good to talk to you oh, so good to talk to you too I hope you enjoyed that episode of A Better Next Birth podcast. We are a couple weeks late in releasing this one, um, partly because I got busy, but partly because I got sick. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll come my way if you want to share your story or if you know someone who you think should share their story. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you feel more bravery. I hope you see yourself in the telling of your own story every day that you're living and the expression of your life and how important that is in the world.